0: Hey, guys. If you enjoy What Next TBD, the best way to support the show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Your contribution helps us produce the unique stories that you hear on this show. It's only a dollar for your first month, and in addition to supporting our journalism, members get an ad-free experience across Slate podcasts and never hit a paywall on the Slate website. Plus, members are essential to keeping the show going, so I hope you will join if you're able to. To sign up now, just go to slate.com slash what next plus. Again, that is slate.com slash what next plus. Several years ago, journalist Jason Kebler was on his very first work trip. He was an intern at US News and World Report at the time, and he was excited.
1: We did karaoke the first night, and I got a little bit drunk, nothing crazy, but I fell asleep with my laptop in my bed watching comedy or something like on Netflix. When
0: Jason woke up, the laptop had moved down to the edge of the bed without him realizing it. And what happened next has that painful, almost slow motion quality that anyone who has broken anything expensive knows all too well.
1: I kicked it off the edge of the bed and the LCD broke on me. On Laptops. So the screen wasn't broken, but like, if you opened it, it was just all, all kinds of crazy colors. And I took it to the Apple store and they wanted $700 to fix it.
0: Money that Jason, an intern, did not have. So he figured, why not try to fix this thing myself? He went on eBay and found a replacement LCD screen for 50 bucks, a fraction of the price that Apple had quoted him. And then he found some instructions online.
1: It actually took me like 10 hours to do. Like, I couldn't get the screen off. And I remember at one point, it was like four in the morning, and I grabbed an X-Acto knife, which is not something you want to take near a bunch of uh, wires. Um, But I was just so frustrated, and I just couldn't get the screen off to put the new one in.
0: Eventually, Jason fixed the screen, and he used that computer for six years. But the experience opened his eyes to a really important story in the tech world, one that he's been covering ever since.
1: It made me think, like, why does it cost so much to to do this?
0: It costs so much to get a device repaired by the manufacturer, and it's so hard to do it yourself. Because manufacturers, from Apple to Samsung to Microsoft to John Deere, make it that way. They control both the supply of parts and the software needed to fix them. But there's a movement to change this to allow people to fix their own products or take them to whoever they choose. It's called the right to repair. And it just got some very powerful allies in the Biden administration and the Federal Trade Commission who want to create new rules so tech companies and manufacturers have to let people repair their own devices. Today on the show, the Biden administration is poised to make it easier for all of us to fix our stuff. But big tech is not gonna back down without a fight. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. Jason Kepler is no longer intern Jason with the broken laptop. He's now the editor in chief of Motherboard at Vice, and he's written story after story about the right to repair. If you were to, to like just look around your house, um, how much of your stuff or a person's stuff can't be fixed by you or an independent repair person?
1: Most most things, <laughs> and so I I, th- I think that
0: it sounds like such a racket
1: this is it's everything. it's your phone. it's everything in your kitchen. It's definitely keurig machines and coffee machines like that's a big one. uh, it's washing machines.
0: so let's lay out how things used to work like if my washing machine broke, I could fix it or or have somebody do it. Um now, what stands in my way?
1: The thing that stands in your way is computer chips and encryption and passwords and things like this. Um, All of our things have sensors on them now, and all of the sensors are encrypted or have password protection. And the only people who know the password are like the manufacturers.
0: And trying to bypass the manufacturers can be risky. Until a couple years ago, if you took your iPhone to an independent repair place like a mall kiosk, there was a chance the unauthorized repair might kill your device. You did a lot of reporting in Nebraska, where I think there's an, an interesting test case of um, some of the principles behind this um, in tractors.
1: Yeah, so John Deere is obviously like this big tractor company, the biggest in the, the world. And they have this situation where only authorized dealers can work on tractors. And what kept happening was people were out in the cornfields in Nebraska and their tractor would break and they would call John Deere and they would be far from a dealer. And the dealer would say, okay, I can come tomorrow or I can come in like three days or whatever. And the farmers there would say, well, like my corn is going to go bad. Like, like I need it now. Yeah. There's this piece of software called uh, John Deere service advisor and that is, a, it's a piece of software on a computer that you hook into the tractor. And that says, hey, this person is authorized to work on this tractor. So if you put a new part in and don't have that uh, piece of software, it won't work. So I found a community of people who were using Pirate Bay, which is what I used to download music and movies on in high school illegally, um, who had found a hacked version of John Deere's service advisor that was taken from a guy in Ukraine, and they were passing it around and were using it to hack their tractors.
0: Yeah, I think my mental picture of a hacker is not a bunch of middle-aged white dudes in Nebraska driving John Deere tractors who were actually swapping tips about how to get around these software protections. And, and they were doing it, and they were telling you about it, and it's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, my favorite detail is actually um, the place that I found this software and found that this was happening was on an auto parts like website hmm. where you have to you have to buy a part. I think it was a spoke for a wheel or something. But in the fine print of that of the details of that product said, "We're not going to send you a spoke. We're going to send you a link and a password to log into a forum where we talk about how to." fix your things. So it was like a password-protected secret forum where farmers were like trading repair tips.
0: This community of farmers organized and started pushing for right-to-repair legislation in Nebraska.
1: There's this entire movement from activists and repair folks and people who are angry at Apple and John Deere and things like this to pass right-to-repair rules. And what that means is it would become essentially illegal for manufacturers of our equipment to not sell the same replacement parts that they provide to their own, you know, the Apple store or the John Deere dealer. Uh, They would have to sell that to the general public as well. And this is already the rule of the land for cars. If your car breaks, you can take it to the Ford dealer or you can take it to the random person around the corner and they're going to be able to fix it. I mean, it might be a tough repair, but there's nothing preventing them from fixing anything that's wrong with your car. And so this is the same state of affairs that people want to have happen for tractors, for refrigerators, for laptops, for phones.
0: The farmers did get some Nebraska state lawmakers on board in 2017. But the bill met with intense pushback from John Deere, manufacturing trade groups, even Apple. And it failed. Similar fights have unfolded across the country in more than 17 states. And most of the time, the big manufacturers win.
1: Anyone who makes anything hates this. They hate rights for repair. Hmm. Um, And so anytime this has popped up in any state, lobbyists will show up and will start fear-mongering about why it is very dangerous to make it easier for people to fix their things. And... The, the main argument that they make is they say it's a security issue. They say yeah, they say
0: know, we make this private and safe and secure. And and I'm guessing you're going to tell me you don't think that holds up.
1: It doesn't hold up because they're giving this to like a bunch of authorized service providers. And, you know, there's like thousands of people in the U.S. who can fix these things because they just pass it out kind of willy nilly to anyone who pays them money to generalize. And this is not always the case. Like, but. State lawmakers are often not security experts, and so Apple has been able to go to like a lot of different states and say, "Oh my God, if you pass this law, like you're gonna turn into a, a lawless hacker state, and hmm. it's very dangerous." And so they're able to sort of scare uh, lawmakers out of passing this sort of thing.
0: You got some documents a couple years ago that seemed to show that that Apple specifically, um, is quite capable of doing what activists want, giving some small repair companies access to software, to parts, et cetera. What did the documents say?
1: Yeah, we got some documents that were were basically like, we could do this. The documents didn't say like, we could do this, but we're greedy and we want to make a lot of money. It was more like, we could do this, um, but it's kind of like difficult for us to implement. Apple has spent the last five years saying that, the iPhone is the most secure device on the planet. And, you know, we care about your privacy. And
0: that's their big selling point. Yeah,
1: they make a very good product. And from everything we know, they take security very seriously. And so the idea that by selling you a new screen, and by allowing you to sort of like, fix touch ID or face ID, if it's broken, that the entire security ecosystem of the iPhone would be undermined, like it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Hmm. Uh, Apple is a much more sophisticated company than that. When we come
0: back, the Biden administration makes right-to-repair activists very happy. You're listening to What Next TBD. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and I'm talking with Jason Kebler from Motherboard about the right to repair and why big companies like Apple and Microsoft make it so hard to fix their devices. Is it possible to quantify how much money manufacturers make on on keeping the stuff either in-house or relatively gated?
1: I have tried to figure out how much money these companies make from repair. It's really, really hard because... I haven't been able to get any internal documents that sort of spell it out. What I will say is there's actually this big scandal a few years ago where Apple was caught slowing down iPhones um, in order to preserve the battery life. It was this big thing called ThrottleGate.
0: In 2016, several users on Reddit noticed that older iPhones were slowing down, something it turned out the company was doing intentionally to keep batteries from failing today's Tech bites: Apple admits to slowing down older iPhones.
1: So Apple says it slows down the processors on older iPhones to prevent battery issues that could cause the phones to suddenly shut down or restart. The tech giant claims it's not a ploy to get you to replace your phone.
0: In response, Apple let customers with older phones get a new battery for only $29. Advocates for the right to repair looked at this episode as evidence that the company could offer a cheap, easy solution to failing technology when it wanted to.
1: The interesting thing there is Apple is forced to address this in an earnings call. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they said basically like because of this program, people weren't buying as many new iPhones because they're like, oh, my old iPhone is lasting longer. So I'm not buying new iPhones. And they're like, it cost them like billions of dollars. Which raises the question, it's like, if the only thing that, that is slowing the iPhone down is, you know, the battery is old, well, a new battery is like 20 or $30, whereas a new iPhone is $1,000.
0: When devices last longer, we're also throwing less stuff away. And I think maybe if you are not the sort of person who would be inclined to repair your own device or, or try to get someone to do it, you still might be interested in... environmental side of this the idea that maybe these products don't need to be as disposable as we've all been treating them
1: yeah everything is disposable now if you get a flat tire you don't throw away your car but like if your coffee maker stops working like you probably just throw it away and get a new one if you're recycling an iphone i've been to uh, electronics recycling centers they're they're very interesting places they take the battery out and they run it through Uh, you know, a big giant trash compactor thing and it gets shredded into a million pieces and they take like a little bit of the gold out because there's gold in every electronic and they like make money off of the gold and then everything else gets like melted down. It doesn't like become a new iPhone. It doesn't become a TV. It's downcycled essentially.
0: Earlier this month, President Biden issued an executive order that calls on the Federal Trade Commission to make new rules around the right to repair. And the FTC's chair, Lena Khan, said big companies are hurting consumers with their repair restrictions. These types of restrictions can
1: significantly raise costs for consumers, stifle innovation, close off business opportunity for independent repair shops, create unnecessary electronic waste, delay
0: timely repairs and undermine resilience. Still, it's hard to know how much the FTC can do.
1: What the Biden administration said is there should already be a law in the books that allows the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, to enforce antitrust rules. So they're basically saying, like, by creating this repair monopoly, all of these manufacturers are already in violation of existing antitrust laws. And so his executive order states that the FTC needs to create rules that would specifically ban this, like, anti-competitive behavior. The FTC voted and said, we are going to create rules and enforce them. So I, I think it's a big deal. I think, you know, whether it stands the test of time, like whether manufacturers challenge this in court or whether the next administration repeals these sorts of rules, like that, that could happen. But this is, it's a big deal. I think it will make things easier for, for everyone.
0: Jason Kebler, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. This is really fun.
0: Jason Kebler is the editor-in-chief of Motherboard at Vice, and he's also part of Cyber, Motherboard's hacking and cybersecurity podcast. That's our show for today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks, and we're edited by Tori Bosch and Allison Benedict. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts, and TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. I want to take a minute to suggest you go back and listen to Wednesday's episode of What Next, which really helped me understand what happened with Simone Biles in Tokyo. Mary Harris will be back next week. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.